You're listening to LawPod UK. It's a podcast that covers all aspects of civil and public law in the United Kingdom. All comments are current at the time of publication. It's a podcast that's brought to you by the barristers at One Crown Office Row. And this edition is presented by Rosalind English. We're all very accustomed to the idea of electronic money, particularly since lockdown, when cash all but disappeared. Money is represented electronically in our bank accounts, transferred electronically using debit cards or mobile banking apps. But cryptocurrency is another matter. In this episode, we'll be discussing the question of money that dispenses with the use of banks altogether. Here with me is Robert Keller, KC of One Crown Office Row, who's been studying the Law Commission's consultation paper on digital assets. Rob, welcome again to LawPod UK on what is a fairly technical subject. Not that you shy away from technical subjects, Rob, because I remember last time talking to you about artificial intelligence in healthcare. Yes, that's right. And really, there's not much to link the two topics other than that there are many futurists out there I know who think we're in a, an exponential age in terms of a sort of convergence of groundbreaking technologies like biotech and artificial intelligence that's going to be transformative of the way we work and live and trade in the future. And one of those exponential technologies is said to be cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. So that's, I think, the common link there. Okay, so let's turn our attention to today's topic. Electronic or assets in cyberspace without a bank or any centralized intermediary to supervise the moving around of these assets. Where did this all start? Well, it actually started, well, many people would say it started with the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto, who published the the Bitcoin white paper in which he, as you say, proposed this idea of moving electronic money around without banks. In terms of how that works, I mean, really exactly how it works is, is out with the scape, I think, of this episode. But, but in essence, as you say, we're all these days very used to the idea of electronic money. That's to say the money that's represented electronically in our bank accounts. And we are very used to using debit cards to, to move, move that around without really using cash anymore. And what needs to be thought about is what actually is happening when I transfer money to you. Well, in essence, all that's happening is that there's a, a ledger which is controlled or supervised by a bank. And within that ledger, the amount in my account goes down and the amount in yours goes up. And so what we're really doing is relying upon the banking system and bankers to supervise the ledger. And what Satoshi Nakamoto proposed is this idea of no longer needing banks, was it possible to have a system in which we no longer needed banks to perform this centralised intermediary role? Uh, and famously, the, the white paper was proposed, I think, against the background of the, the recent banking crisis back in, back in that time. And what was proposed was this idea of a decentralised distributed ledger. Uh, that's to say that a ledger that's not supervised by the banks, but by computers around the globe or nodes now thought of as Bitcoin miners, who instead of the banks are financially incentivized in a decentralized way to supervise the operation of the ledger. So that's in essence where the idea comes from. Can I just get this right? Are the miners humans 
<laughs> it's a good question. The miners are humans, I suppose, operating very powerful computer machinery, which is dedicated to the process of Bitcoin mining. They set up the machines and then they run autonomously for the sole function of mining Bitcoin. But really what they're doing, and again, it's slightly out with the scope of this talk, is they are competing to solve very, very difficult cryptographic problems. And the first to come up with a solution has the opportunity to mine a new block, which contains all of the transactions. So when when I send a Bitcoin to you, the person who solves the cryptographic problem first gets the opportunity to add that transaction to the ledger and gets incentivized financially for doing that and gets paid in Bitcoin. Okay, brilliant. Now we've fully understood what a cryptocurrency system is, <laughs> can I ask you the next thing, what are these non-fungible tokens we keep hearing about? Well, I think, first of all, it's good to break that phrase down and, and explain what the difference between fungible and non-fungible is. Assets are fungible, where just like any kind of currency, one unit is completely interchangeable with another. So if I lend you five pounds, I don't care very much whether you give me that five pound note back. I'm very happy to have any other five pound note or indeed five one pound coins. Currency is entirely interchangeable. Non-fungible assets, on the other hand, are unique and can't be readily substituted or substituted at all for something else. So a classic example would be a piece of art such as the Mona Lisa. If I lend you the Mona Lisa, I expect to get precisely that same Mona Lisa back and not some other piece of art. So when we talk about non-fungible tokens, we're talking about tokens which exist on the blockchain in the same way as, for example, a Bitcoin, but are a digital piece of art or perhaps music or some other non-fungible thing which is stored on this distributed ledger, like the Bitcoin network, but perhaps something else like the Ethereum network or, or other cryptocurrency networks. And just like currency, the non-fungible token, ownership of that can be transferred on the blockchain, uh, ownership of it can be verified on the blockchain. So that's in essence what a non-fungible token is. That's very helpful. Now we move on to the Law Commission paper, which is all about updating the law of property to reflect the increasing use of these cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens that we've been talking about. So my first question to you, Rob, is why is the law of property so important? Well, it's really important because property rights can be enforced against the whole world, whereas other types of rights, such as contractual rights, can only be enforced against somebody who's assumed a relevant duty. And it's for that reason the law of property is used or that the concept of property is used across the law, across different statutes and different areas of the law. It assumes a central role in things like bankruptcy, insolvency, the laws about criminal and tortious interference with property, divorce, death, succession, and everything else. So it's a very central concept. And so the central issue that the Law Commission consultation paper is grappling with is, 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 do we need to transform this law of property, the concept of property from a legal perspective to accommodate in the future, the increasing use and perhaps abuse of digital assets, whether that be cryptocurrency or NFTs. And presumably the reason why the Law Commission has got their all their joint very clever heads into this issue is that there are problems and challenges presented 
by describing digital information as property. So how does the Royal Commission propose solving these problems? There are two central types of property that we recognise as a matter of English law. And the first type of property is things in possession. Uh, and that's really composed of tangible things like coffee mugs, bars of gold, furniture, things that you can feel and touch. And the second type of thing is, or type of property, I should say, is things in action. And th that consists of intangible things, the sorts of things which can only be enforced generally through legal proceedings. And good examples of this are debts or, or perhaps shares in a company. And so the central problem that the the Law Commission is grappling with is that cryptocurrency NFTs don't really fit very neatly into either of those two categories. And their central thesis or the central proposal in the consultation paper is that we really need a, an entirely new category of property, a new type of property to be known as data objects, as it were, to, to fill the legal gap, if you like. And the paper comes up with this concept of in quotes, rivalrous property. Could you expand on that? Yeah, so this is another one of the ideas which is used to address the problem of categorizing cryptocurrency as property. And one of the central problems with this is that information as a matter of English law and common law is not generally considered to be property. And the reason for that is that information, as you know, as we know, can be very easily duplicated and freely disseminated, particularly in the internet age. So if, to take an example, if I deliver my car to you, I no longer have any access over it, any control over it, and you have exclusive control over it. We can't both drive the car at the same time. If, on the other hand, I provide you with information, Rosalind, whatever that might be, we now both simultaneously have access to the same information. And moreover, you can disseminate that as widely as you wish, and everybody can have it on the internet at the same time, almost without limit. So that's one of the central problems, really, with categorizing information, including information which exists on the internet, in, in, in data, in bytes, as property. So how does the Law Commission grapple with this? What does it do? Well, it grapples with it by proposing that cryptocurrency, NFTs, notwithstanding that they are a type of, if you like, electronic information, can be categorized as property so long as it is rivalrous. And the Commission points out that rivalrousness is really a concept which binds together different types of property. And one of the central functions of the law is to allocate property between different people where there are rivalrous claims to it. And without the law, those rivalrous claims could only be settled by other types of dispute, perhaps physical dispute. So bringing it back to cryptocurrencies, NFTs, what the Law Commission proposes is that electronic information such as NFTs, such as cryptocurrency, is capable of being property so long as it is rivalrous. And that means that so long as one person holding the cryptocurrency or the NFT necessarily prejudices the ability of somebody else to use it at the same time. And to bring us all the way back to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a very good example of that, because if I 
have a Bitcoin in my Bitcoin wallet and send it to you, Roslyn. Unlike other types of information, I no longer have that coin wallet sent to you and you have sole and exclusive use of it and can only disseminate it, pass it on at the risk of losing it altogether yourself. So in that sense, Bitcoin and other NFTs which exist on the blockchain can be rivalrous and say the Law Commission can therefore be property. Okay, so we've got this very clever conceptual dividing system that property law can chop up. And we've got rid of the bankers. Do we get rid of the lawyers as well? I mean, where do lawyers belong in this brave new world of banker-free assets? Well, it's an interesting question. Many argue that we don't require the law in cryptocurrency world. And the reason some say we don't need the law is because once a Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency is transferred from one party to another, that is recorded for all time on the distributed ledger on the blockchain. It's possible to trace exactly who owns what by simply looking at the blockchain, something that everybody has access to. More to the point, what is said by crypto enthusiasts is that whichever wallet holder or wallet contains the NFT or the cryptocurrency is the owner. And wallet ownership is decisive as to ownership. So why do we need the law? It is said, or it is argued, not so fast as the Law Commission. Uh, and what it argues is that the state of the distributed ledger is not and should not necessarily be decisive as to ownership. And that this ledger on the internet in the sky really gives a factual account of the world, an electronic world, but not necessarily a legal account. Uh, and to give a real world analogy, if I drive my car or someone drives a car from my driveway onto your driveway, that changes whose driveway the car is parked on. And we can say for certain whose driveway that is, but that doesn't necessarily determine who is the owner of the car. That is a, an entirely separate point. So in the same way, if Bitcoin is transferred from my Bitcoin wallet to your Bitcoin wallet, that may have happened in fact, but says the Law Commission, that won't necessarily be decisive as to who is the legal owner of that Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. And, and actually, all of this makes, in my view, common sense. After all, we know, and it's well reported, that cryptocurrency can be hacked and stolen and taken fraudulently. And so it doesn't make much sense to say that whoever happens to be the owner or, or the holder of, of currency at any particular time is necessarily the legal owner. And, and apart from that, we also know that many people who've dipped their toes into cryptocurrency over the last few years have done so by holding or buying their cryptocurrency on public exchanges like Coinbase or, or Binance and many others. And in essence, what those exchanges do is hold the cryptocurrency on behalf of somebody else. So again, who holds the cryptocurrency? isn't necessarily, says the Law Commission, decisive as to legal ownership. It's so helpful to have your examples and the Law Commission's real-world examples of ownership. So what are the things in the real world that are likely to be represented as a crypto token? The Law Commission doesn't really go into a huge amount of detail about this, but those that are argue in favour of blockchain technology as a groundbreaking breakthrough technology point to a, uh, I suppose, a large number of use cases in the real world. I mean, at, at its simplest level, before we come to what cryptocurrencies might represent in the real world, people talk about, for example, facilitating cheaper digital pavements on the blockchain, so transmitting money 
if you like, through the blockchain as being a cheaper way of doing international or, or, or even international banking payments. Also a way of allowing the unbanked to have access to financial services so people don't necessarily need a bank account anymore. Anybody with connection to an internet terminal can effectively have their own online bank account. But, but maybe sort of directly to your question, those who argue for the benefits of crypto suggested in the future Things like NFTs are going to increasingly represent real things in the real world. So, for example, non-fungible tokens will eventually replace tickets for shows or sporting events uh, and be a way of securely transferring tickets and securely trading them. At yet another level of complexity and abstraction, there are those who argue that in the future, all things of value which are tradable will come to be represented as some form of crypto token. And there's a line in the Law Commission's consultation paper which speaks to crypto tokens, and I'm going to quote this directly, providing alternative options for communication of value via electronic means, which broadens the scope of and access to markets, increasing transferability, composability, and liquidity of all things of value. And so again, there's this idea that in the future, and there are those who argue against it, but those who argue for it suggest that in the future, all things of value to be represented on the blockchain, whether that's gold, real estate, music, all these things that are said will become tokenized and tokenization will enable all things of value to be readily traded specifically without the need for expensive intermediaries, whether that be the banking system or in the music world, Spotify, or, or whatever the intermediary may be. So that is, that's the idea, that's the promise of blockchain technology. And what's interesting, I think, about the consultation paper is that it's a well-respected law reform body, I think for the first time, openly, not necessarily advocating, but speaking to that potential future and that potential benefit. So that very naturally takes me to the question that I, I wanted to take up with you. Is the Law Commission the only law reform body looking into this? That's the first question. And then related to that, are there any countries in the world that have already passed legislation to forge the link between tokens and things in the real world? Well, as to your first point, the Law Commission is certainly not alone. There are other law commissions across the world looking at law reform in this area. There's the American Law Institute, there's the Uniform Law Commission also in the States, and internationally there's the Digital Assets Working Group of UNIDWA, which is an international law reform organisation, also looking at analogous or parallel issues. And this suggests, certainly to my mind, that eventually we are going to see law reform across the world, which involves some sort of recognition of digital assets which I think is a reflection of the fact that we're already seeing across the world digital assets, whether that be cryptocurrency or NFTs, traded globally. And eventually the law is going to have to catch up with that and there's going to have to be a consistent international global framework for how we deal with the, the, the commercial reality of this trade. In terms of the specific issue, are there any specific jurisdictions which are dealing with this or with legislation in this area? Well, so Liechtenstein, interestingly, is a country which I think in January 2020 passed the Tokens and Trustworthy Technology Services Provider Law, which is a bit of a mouthful. But what is important about it is the fact that it's one of the first countries to pass law recognizing the possibility of linking crypto tokens to things in the real world. 
And in essence, albeit of course, much more complicated than this, there's the idea that so long as there is a, as it were, a physical validator in the real world, whose role it is to, I think, identify the holder of a particular token and ensure that the rights represented by that token are enforceable against real assets, whether that be gold or real estate or cars or whatever it might be, that in principle, in Liechtenstein, one can, very interestingly, now create a legally enforceable link between crypto tokens and tradable assets in the real world. So a sign of things to come, perhaps. So presumably, if, if we want to understand or predict the evolution of the law in this area and how it's going to affect lawyers and the courts in the future, we look to Liechtenstein. It's one of the places, yeah. So you become an expert in Liechtenstein law, I think, is one recommendation. Well, thank you, Rob, for this very clear exploration of what to many, including me, is a fiendishly difficult area of finance and property to get my head around. We look forward to a follow-up from you on LawPod UK when and if any of the Law Commission's proposals are taken up. Do you think they will be? Well, who, who knows? But certainly, I think if crypto is going to be anywhere near as transformative as the advocates say, then lawyers like me and you are going to have to become a lot more literate in this corner of the tech world. We're all going to have to catch up. And I, I hope at least this podcast has given some food for thought and some inspiration to some people to do just that. Well, Robert certainly has given me food for thought. Thank you. My pleasure. LawPod UK is presented by Rosalind English and produced by One Crown Office Row.